Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Well, I'm sure everyone here has heard of the TV show, The uh, Biggest Loser. It is one of the most popular TV shows in history. I was surprised to find that out. And of course, the reason is that it encourages people who have struggled against weight all their life that they can succeed because they watch every week people who've lost all their life against the struggle against their weight. They see people starting to win the battle. That's encouraging. And I'm so glad that Dina uh, is bringing to a women's event at FPC in February Uh, a woman who was a contestant on this show. She's a Christian. And she's going to come and talk about the things that she has learned about breaking any habits that we have that so far we haven't broken. I'm really looking forward to that. And I think it's going to be a great time. But surely everyone here has felt like a big loser at some time in their life about something. Uh, Maybe... It is as a parent. You know, about 10 or 12 years ago, Jim Dobson, who's the founder of that great organization, Focus on the Family, did a national survey of 35,000 parents, and he asked them, what's the dominant feeling you have as a parent? And far and away, the dominant feeling of 35,000 parents was guilt. Guilt. They were saying, you know, when I think about my parenting, the mistakes I've made, I feel like a loser. And surely someone in their marriage is repeating the same mistakes. And you may feel like a loser this morning. Where is that in your life where you're just not winning the battle? Where is that for you? You probably can identify when Paul says in Romans 7 in our scripture, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You know what he means, don't you? I do. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture as we go through the life of Paul. In fact, just this last week, it happened to me. The good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad I know not to do, I did. Paul took the words right out of my mouth. For I, what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul is like the contestants on The Biggest Loser. Because he's in a battle with himself. His battle isn't against food. But it's against other things in his life that are just as addicting, because all sin is addicting. He doesn't specify what it is, because it doesn't matter. We all have different things we battle against inside of ourselves, But we all battle 
I don't know if you heard about the guy who was on his deathbed and his wife, who was a Bible study leader in a Presbyterian church, stayed at his bed night and day, holding his hands, tears pouring down her cheeks as she watched her husband dying. Towards the end, when he was just barely hanging on, he said, Honey, and she interrupted him and said, Hush, my love, just rest. No, honey, I need to confess something to you. She said, No, you're dying. You don't need to confess anything to me. He said, I need to confess that I slept with your best friend. She said, I know, that's why I poisoned you. (laughs) Now, she knew that wasn't the Christian thing to do. She's a Bible study leader. She knew that she should forgive and not seek revenge. But what happened here happens so frequently. She knew what the will of God was, but her anger and her revenge overpowered her Christianity. It happens all the time. This explains why Christians can do unchristian things. It can explain why people you love do unloving things to you. You see, the devil is always probing. Everything in life is a test. It tests you, and he's probing, shooting arrow thoughts into your mind, urging your sinful nature to take over and stomp on your Christianity. It happens all the time. People failing this test. Guy's wife bought some expensive cosmetics which guaranteed to make her look younger. And after two hours of meticulously applying these cosmetics to herself, she turned to her husband and said, Tell me the truth. How old do I look? (laughs) Well, judging from your skin, I'd say about 35. Your hair, about 30. Your figure, 25. She was ecstatic. Oh, honey, you're so sweet to say that to me. He said, hold on, I haven't finished adding it all up yet. (laughs) Now, this guy went to church. He had heard his pastor like me when I preached a few months ago in James chapter 1, verse 19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He had heard that verse. He knew that verse. But his sarcasm overwhelmed his Christianity. He lost the battle. H.G. Wells described himself once as a walking civil war between his good self and his worst self. Between good and evil. Aren't you? I am. I'm a walking civil war between my best self and my worst self. They're always talking to each other and fighting within me. Our sin nature is what Paul calls it. Simply sin nature. This is very important. The teaching of the scriptures is that if you are a Christian, you begin to realize you do have a sin nature. 
you're not a Christian, you don't realize that. But as a Christian, you realize you have a part of you that is your sin nature, that is characterized by resisting God's word, the will of God, and rebellion. Its chief thing is rebellion. It hates Christian words like submission, surrender, obedience. Hates those words. Because your sin nature is that rebel that is within you. Now, you know, I hear people say all the time, you can't prove Christianity. The doctrine of sin nature is one aspect unique to Christianity that's easily provable. We prove it every day. You hear preaching. You're in a Bible study. You read your Bible and you come across something and something inside of you says, No, I'm not going to do that. No. That's your sin nature speaking. Rebelling against the clear word of God. You hear preaching on forgive instead of seeking revenge. You sit there thinking about somebody who wronged you. No. You hear preaching on tithing. No. The sin nature is being proven within us. That rebel side of us that wants nothing, that wants to resist the word of God. And here's the surprise. The more spiritual you grow as a Christian, the closer you come to Jesus Christ, the more fierce the battle becomes. That's a surprise. You would think the, the bigger you grow as a spiritual Christian, the less you would fight. The more you would be in control of your sin nature. No, the more the battle intensifies. That's one of the marks of a spiritual Christian. And the mark of a carnal Christian is they don't battle anything. It's smooth because they're not in the fight. Notice that Paul writes in the present tense in this passage. He's not talking about 30 years ago when he was a new Christian, that yes, he was in an intense fight. He's talking about now as an apostle, as a mature Christian of 30 years. You can just hear the passion in this passage. There's passion and feeling in it. Because he's in a fierce battle with his sin nature. And this is so encouraging to me. I love this passage because Paul tells us his battle is ongoing. It means even the greatest Christians fight sin. But I want to say something that's so important. Every Christian is a sinner. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. Every Christian sins. But there's still two kinds of sinners. There's a Christian who sins, who fights that sin, resists that sin, does his best not to do it, but fails. Sometimes fails. Failing, there's always grace and forgiveness for it. And the fight shows the sincerity of that Christian to love Jesus and to become spiritual. That's one kind of sinful Christian. There's the other Christian who sins because they're a rebel. There's no fight. There's no resistance. They say, no, I won't do that. And there's no battle at all. 
That Christian is not repentant and there's no forgiveness for that Christian. Because they have no sorrow over their sin. Two very different kinds of sinful Christians. Be sure you're the Christian. If they sin, it's because you are resisting and failed. Not because you're a rebel. There's a big difference. Let me give you an example. Susie has the cutest little niece. When... (laughs) Chloe. And when she was three years old, she had a baby brother who was one. And as her mother tells it one day, Chloe wanted to come over and give a kiss to her baby brother because she's so loving. But she had a cold and her mother said, no, Chloe, don't come over here and kiss your baby brother because you have a cold and I don't want him to get your germs. But Chloe kept coming. And her mother said, Chloe, don't come any closer because you have germs and I don't want you to get your baby brother sick. Stop. And so Chloe stopped and started to back up and then stopped and started forward again. And her mother said, Chloe, I told you not to come near your baby brother. And Chloe said, I'm not. My feet are taking me there. Classic sin nature excuse. Her mother says to her, then tell your feet not to take you here. And Chloe stopped a minute, and then she said, no, I don't want to, and started coming again. That's rebellion. That's very different from resisting. Anybody here need to tell your feet to stop taking you somewhere? That's what it means to be a spiritual Christian. Tell your feet to stop taking you there. There's something really important here. Really important. Battling sin is a good sign. Sometimes people get real discouraged and down on themselves because they say, gee, I'm just fighting this so much. I shouldn't be. I should be bigger than this. No, the fight is a good sign. It's far better than the person who's not even in the fight because they're a rebel. They're not resisting what they're doing. You are. Praise be to God for that. That's a mark of advancement. It shows that your conscience is awake. That's very important. Last week, I failed miserably as a husband. And I felt guilty. Really guilty. In fact, I hurt I was so guilty. Was that bad? You know, there are teachers who tell you, you shouldn't feel guilt if you're a Christian because God forgives you. Was it bad for me to feel guilt? No, it was a good thing. First, because I was guilty. (laughs) That's the first reason I felt guilty. My conscience was awake. The scriptures talk about a seared conscience or a dead conscience that can't feel a thing. That's a person whose conscience just never speaks up. They, they, They just don't feel guilty. 
You know, I actually, not long ago, had a person say, who was in obvious sin, I mean, it was obvious to everyone around, that he had never felt closer to Jesus than he did right now. No. People can say that. All that meant was the conscience was dead. Guilt is a sign that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to you because one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin because you won't change what you won't say is wrong. To convict us. The second reason I felt guilty and it was good is because I had offended my wife. And I love my wife more than anything in the world. She doesn't cook, but she's still my dream woman. (laughs) And it hurts me if I've offended her. That is the mark. I love her. When I'm in counseling and there's people coming in for marriage counseling and I see one of the spouses doesn't have any hurt over how they've offended the other person, I know that marriage is in real trouble. Because the very mark of love, the love of Jesus Christ or the love of your wife or husband, is you're sad when you've offended them and hurt them. That's the mark of love. And that is why when a person feels guilty and sad over their behavior, you know they love the Lord. Because they have, rebel- they have offended him by doing what is wrong in his eyes. That's Paul. He admits to the whole world that he has a sin nature that sometimes overwhelms him. And he doesn't do what, and he does what he knows is wrong. To the whole world he admits that. That's Luther, that's Calvin, that's Catherine Marshall, one of the great Christians in recent history. Do you know she wrote um, two of her, the two books, her two last books that were published were published after her death, and they were actually her daily diary that she wanted published after her death. One of them has got the title, A Closer Walk. That's not a coincidence. What she does in that book is very biblical. What she says is, if you're going to be close to God, to Jesus, walk close to him. You've got to fight your sin, not be a rebel. But more than that, the closer you walk with Jesus, the more you see sin in your life that you didn't see before. Oh my gosh. Do you see why the battle gets more intense for Paul? The longer he's a Christian, the more he understands the commandments of Christ, the closer he walks to Jesus Christ, the clearer he sees the gaps between the way Jesus would act and the way he acts. You know, when you first start being a Christian, you don't see it so clearly. I can remember that when I first became a Christian, I just knew right away I needed to clean up my cussing mouth and some of my morals. I thought I was done. And then I started going to listening to preachers and teachers And they started talking about pride. They started talking about forgiveness. They started talking about tithing. I didn't realize how materialist and greedy I was until they started talking to me about tithing. Then I found out really 
how much things meant to me. Do you see? It wasn't the money. It was my materialism and greed that got exposed by the commandments of God. And over time, the more that I have learned about Jesus Christ, there are things I never saw as sin that now I do. I've got to tell you this. When I was in seminary in Princeton, to our preaching class, they brought one of the great preachers of the time from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. This guy was spectacular. And so he, in the class, his memory is so crystal clear. He said every year he works on something different in his preaching to improve. He keeps moving up. And so, of course, the question was asked, he's been preaching for 25, 30 years, what are you working on this year? You know what he said? I'm working on my pauses. (laughs) Your pauses? I didn't even know that was a factor in preaching. (laughs) I'm working on storytelling, working on remembering. Your pauses? He was so far ahead of us. We didn't even know enough to know what to work on. We didn't even know enough to know what to work on. That's what it means to become a spiritual Christian. The farther you go, you start working on things you never worked on before. That is the mark of a really, truly mature Christian. You see... Spirituality is like an artichoke. You know, when you get an artichoke, you pull off the leaf. And when you do, there's a little bit of on that leaf that is really kind of tasty. And you taste that. But you know, if you're a fool, you try to eat the whole leaf because the first part was really good. You learn real quickly, the rest is bitter. That's sin. Sin always starts with a little bit of reward, but it never keeps giving you a reward. Sooner or later, it turns bitter. Turns bitter. And you know, so many people never get down to the heart of Christianity, which is abundant life in their marriage, and in their family life, and in their personal life, abundant life. You know, the real heart of the artichoke is way down there. And to get there, you've got to start tearing off leaves. And when you first start, they're pretty little leaves. They're pretty little. But soon, you start getting to some big ones. And you know, the farther you go, the bigger they get. The bigger they get. And if you're ever going to get down to the real prize in this thing, you got to keep taking off the leaves. And that's Christianity. Going deeper things that you never thought were sin. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, you see the gap. And you start working on gaps you never saw before. That's why I'm so impressed with Aaron, the big, uh, who was on The Biggest Loser not long ago. And you see his picture on the screen. He weighed 468 pounds when he came on the show. Can you imagine weighing that much, 
And before the whole nation stepping on the scale and seeing that number come up, you talk about embarrassing. You got to be motivated. He was motivated. His story is that his father was an alcoholic and he describes all the pain he went through. And he learned from his family addictive thinking. All addictions have a thinking behind them. He learned addictive thinking. His addiction wasn't alcohol. His drug of choice was food. And he ballooned up to this size. And what he illustrates is, to me, what is a great definition of sin. Sin is filling a legitimate need in a destructive way. All sin is filling a legitimate need in a self-destructive way. Aaron one day decided he was going to change. He'd had enough of this life. And so he got on this program and was determined that he was going to beat his food sin, his addiction. And you know, the reason he did this is because he said, I don't want my three-year-old son to be like me. I don't want to pass this on to my son. And in one of the events in the show, they're competing and he's working out there, stepping on this stair step over and over and they had to do it 500 times. And he's about to collapse, but he keeps going because right there in front of him, two feet away, is his three-year-old son sitting up looking at him. And tears are coming down Aaron's face because he wants to succeed for his three-year-old son. And I'm sitting there crying as I watch him crying over his son. You and I are like artichokes. To have abundant life, to do it for those you love, you've got to start tearing off leaves and start resisting instead of rebelling. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you've got to stop calling wrong right. No one changes what they refuse to call wrong. Am I right? No one changes what they refuse to call wrong. All over this country, people are calling wrong right. Your friends, if you start to change, they're going to try to hold you back because they want to tell you that wrong is right. Don't listen. Listen to the Word of God. If you really want to grow and change, you've got to start calling wrong what God calls wrong. You can't be spiritual if you disagree with God. I don't know if you read about Larry's barn burning down. His wife called the insurance company and said, we had that barn insured for $100,000 and I want my money. Agent said, whoa, just a minute. We don't pay you $100,000 right off. First, we determine the value of the barn. And we're going to pay you what that barn is worth. We're not going to pay you more than it's worth. We'll replace it with something of equal value, not upgrade it. There's a long pause on the phone, and the wife said, then I want to cancel the insurance on my husband. I thought it was funny. <laughs> it's never too late to save a marriage. If you start admitting things and start fighting our sin nature. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Max Lucado has a great comment on these words. This is what Max says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Of all the paths to joy, repentance is the strangest. But true blessedness begins with a deep sadness. Sadness over how we behaved, what we've done. That's true repentance. A husband going to his wife and saying, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me. That's not repentance. Repentance is when the husband's heart is broken over what he did. And his sadness swells up and said, I'm so sorry. That's repentance. That's the mark of a spiritual person. So often you'll hear Christians say, oh, I don't want to hear this. Rebellion. Oh, I'm just forgiven. Quickie forgiveness. No. A sadness is the strangest way to the joy of Jesus Christ. Surely there's a marriage here, a family, a relationship that would improve if only we started call, stopped calling wrong right and had a sadness over the effect of our behavior. That had improved so many relationships. A sadness. Secondly, don't let the devil shame you or discourage you over failures. I'm convinced that most people do very little admitting because they already are so self-critical and already lack confidence. Their self-esteem is so poor. They can't afford to admit anything else because they already are criticizing themselves so much. I'm convinced of that. And the devil starts talking to us. If you feel shamed, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil trying to knock you down. Guilt is the Holy Spirit, but not shame. They're different. Notice Paul tells the whole world that he loses battles. It is my sinful nature, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. This is amazing. He's an apostle. Isn't this cutting down his credibility? No, it's building it up that he is sincere about obeying Christ because he's so broken and so transparent. Do you know how he could be so transparent before the whole world and not be ashamed that he's such a sinner? Because of what he had written earlier in Romans 5, verse 20. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I love that verse because the Greek word for increase there, grace increased all the more, literally you translate it superabundantly, gushed. You see, Paul was saying, when I fail, not when I'm in a rebel, when I fail, I've resisted, no matter what my sin is, God's grace gushes even bigger. That's why he can afford to be transparent about his sin. He is so convinced of the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's the answer to anyone who's asking, will God forgive me if I keep failing in the same way again and again? Yes! Because you can never exhaust the grace of Jesus Christ. It is super abundant. You will be forgiven. Forgiven. 
Forgiven again. Forgiven again and again and again. If you're repentant and there's sadness in you over your sin. Now Paul doesn't get discouraged about his failures. So many people start thinking they're the biggest losers because they expect to experience radical change in a month. When it's taken 30 or 40 years to develop this habit, you don't get rid of it in 30 days. It's a fight. That's why, you know, on the TV show, I think it is such a great example. Because they have to work hard to change attitudes and habits. And then they get a personal trainer, don't they? And then they have the accountability session. It looks like the weigh-in. You know what the weigh-in really is? Encouragement. You're making progress. No, you're not yet twiggy or a skinny thing, but you're making progress. This is Christianity. And this is why at FPC we have all these women's and men's and couples Bible study groups. See, there in those Bible study groups, you get a trainer. It's called the Bible study. Beth Moore, the lessons I write. And you know, in that Bible study, there's transparency. You find out that other people are also fighting battles and they're making progress. That's encouraging. You get cheered in there. That's why we have dynamic marriage for people to make their marriage even better. You get cheered. You have coaching that goes on in dynamic marriage. And that's why we have Celebrate Recovery. All these groups that are cheering one another on and making progress against their sin nature. I encourage you to get involved in one of these things and begin to improve. The goal of Christianity is not to be perfect. You'll never be perfect in this life. But you can make progress, great progress. That's spiritual growth. Then finally, third, Paul admits that he's helpless against his sin nature, but he knows where to get help. Paul's one of the most strong-willed people in the Bible. You talk about strength of will, but Paul knows it's not enough to beat his sin nature. His sin nature will win out every time if he goes up against it alone. But he knows where to get the help. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus. You need the power of Jesus Christ in your life and that only comes by spending time with Him and knowing His Word and walking with Him. Do you remember Chevy Chase? Ever see Saturday Night Live and his most famous line? I'm Chevy Chase and you are not. That's what Jesus is saying this morning. I'm God and you are not. So come to me for power that only I have for you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I, I pray for us today that for some of us we would change from being rebels to be resistors against our old sin nature. And for those... Um, who have had a lot of failures, I pray they would find your superabundant grace and your power this morning. Help them, Lord. Amen.
that message was packed with quotable insights for living, wasn't it? If you're blessed by these podcasts, why not share them with friends and spread the blessing? Christians today in America, like at no other time in memory, need the encouragement of these messages to stand up for Jesus. So share the blessing, and God bless you.